And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by StravaCraft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you'll save 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich and potentially life-altering StravaCraft Coffee. I, of course, am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, we are going to discuss your favorite 90s cartoons. No, no, I'm sorry. No, we're going to discuss a seven. I know people are like, no, Rick, can we do the other thing? No, I was I, really I, excited. You really I, threw me a curveball there, and I was all set. Uh, and unfortunately, like most of the members of the Colorado Rockies, tonight you swung and missed at that curveball. Yes, yeah. we may have to come back to this topic though. By the end, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I could go at, at a great deal of length about '90s cartoons, the golden era. Uh, but unfortunately, I suppose we do have to discuss a seven to two loss for the Colorado Rockies at the hands of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, not. A terribly played baseball game in the early going uh, again for the Rockies, but almost the same story as the day before. A perfectly acceptable start from the starter, an offense that while they didn't put up a big number, had multiple opportunities throughout the night, a little bit of bad luck not being able to bring in a few more runs than they were able to, and a bullpen that just let the game totally slip away at this point, Patrick, you can kind of write the script before the the game starts. It was a lot like we've, we've seen in in recent memory, maybe even last night, you know, Castellani, uh, as you said, got away with, uh, you know, some things and and it it seemed like it was a, was a decent start, you know, did walk five guys, but there was the point before Mauricio Dubon hit the home run in the fifth, this was, you know, a two-two ball game, and runners are on first and third with two outs. You go, Yancey, hey, come on in with your your almost even three ERA, get the job done, and you say, okay, well, you know, we're we're essentially on uh, an even playing field, and yes, the bullpen would be, you know, then tasked with four innings, but it's not setting up entirely for a seven-two ball game. It's you're right there, but. Again, as it as it were, I guess some of Castellani's good luck did not trickle down to Almonte. Dubon goes deep left center, three hundred ninety three feet, one of the biggest home runs of uh, of his career, of his young career, and the Rockies really aren't able to to get back and um, really really be you know too competitive. They they did some things late, but not enough to to drive any runs across home plate and. 
and really, you know, be competitive in these late innings. Yeah. And, it, and like you said there, it, it does go both ways and as frustrating as it is to just sort of watch the bullpen and, and the Rockies throw out another guy uh, to make his MLB debut. And it's no knock on Tommy Doyle, who is thrown into a very difficult spot, but a guy who probably should not be put pitching in major league baseball this year. And if, the Rockies weren't firmly and throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks mode, uh, you know, he wouldn't have been. And all that said, again, you know, a couple of runs against a team that's playing for a playoff spot. Uh, you, you wouldn't, you know, say, oh, man, it was terrible. This wasn't uh, like what they did to uh, poor, oh, shoot, who, um, Santos, Antonio Santos. Yeah. Earlier in the season when he had to make his major league debut with the bases loaded and nobody out. And then he had to eat the rest of that game and give up like eight runs. Like Tommy Doyle, he was like, Hey, I gave up a couple, finished my inning, you know, <laughs> but, but man, the, the, the late innings, like you might as you might as well just watch the first five innings of a Rockies game these days. If you want to see good baseball. Yeah. It's crazy to think that, you know, at the beginning of the season, Rockies were in the the hunt for this and and sure a lot of the prognosticators and um you know a lot of the, the gambling sites will will even say you know had had Colorado you know pegged for 26 and a half runs which I thought was low I didn't think they'd be much better than that um but there is a scenario under a 60 game season that if you play it out over and over again the Rockies are able to win 35 games and that I think that's still true if you look at at how talented this roster could be Potentially, I think there are other teams right now. If you look at the Miami Marlins, who are, are sitting right around 500, this is their best case scenario. No two right, ways about right, it. So right. they're living that that you know 10% chance that hey, a shortened season means we could be in the hunt. And right. it just so happened the roll of the dice for Colorado was you know was was not that good here in the second half. But we're getting to that time where it's it's a strange world with so many guys on the injured list. David Dahl, of course, before the game, going on the 45-day IL. Yeah. Scott Oberg having a thoracic outlet surgery. Right. John Gray already we knew was, was out for the season. Nolan Arenado out. Nothing major, just with the AC joint, the shoulder uh, issue that he had there. I think it was in game four in Oakland uh, that just continued to get worse. It's it's at a stage where it's almost, you know, pre 2016 where you've got these guys coming up in the minors who maybe aren't ready. Maybe you're just trying to get them a look to just see what's going on, but they don't really move the dial. Tommy Doyle was a nice second round pick back in, in 2015. Uh, you know, I showed uh, some flashes in the bullpen, but again, you know, I hadn't gotten above high a, the, the organization hasn't really challenged him and they, they typically don't, especially with these young relievers. Even Ben Bowden, who's been one of the better ones, you know, hasn't been moved aggressively through the minors. Right. So it's just this weird. Well, and then he know, got hurt in spring training too. That's right. Back to your 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 injury list thing. Yeah. So it's just been yeah. It's just a weird season where they go and you, they're competitive, and you go, wow, this is this team might might be able to make a run in the playoffs if all things are well. And then we get to the end of the season and. They're just, as you said, with Santos, Mujica, now Doyle, they're just throwing bodies out there to uh, to just eat up innings. It's it's rather strange, you know, for this this 2020 season, as, as all things are strange. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and, and it does, 
You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I thought of it another way, which was basically, you know, I had written and we had talked about um, Arenado's struggles throughout the year and how much that's, you know, cost the Rockies. And I feel like that debate gets it oftentimes lost in a lot of personal feelings about the player or about the organization, about everything he's done for them. So let me reframe it this way, because as, as Patrick noted, the injury occurred on the fourth game of the year. So perhaps reframe it as such. The Colorado Rockies did not have a healthy Nolan Arenado for 90% of the season. And of course that cost them. If if I told you before the year, Rockies just aren't going to have him. Of course that would impact how many games you think they were capable of winning. You know it would. <laughs> of course it would. And that's now, well, that's the, not, it's a little extreme to say they didn't have him at all. So, of course, they still had some tremendous defense out of him this year. Um, as we've talked about before, being dead last in WPA on the team literally means that you have contributed with your offense to winning baseball games less than everybody else in the lineup. And that's that's a rough spot to be in there. So, uh, but, but I think that's almost a better way to, to recognize it is they just didn't have him. Like, forget all the other stuff. Like, don't fight about, like, like we can, or, or don't, and just compartmentalize, and we can have that argument another time. They basically didn't have their best player for most of this year, and they've got to keep that in mind as they try to build moving forward, whichever way they go. Right, and I, and I think, you know, there's, you know, tied in with that is is this idea that there just might not be as much depth there as there needs to be where you've got players to be able to step up and, and fill the void. And, you know, and, and one kind of marker in this is in 2020 with all teams playing on a, on a level playing field is this idea that your designated hitter typically, obviously going into the season, all national league teams did not think, you know what, we can just get a, we can get a Matt Kemp, so to speak. We can get a guy that's just a permanent sure. DH and, and the Rockies lucked out and they got a lot of production out of him you know, the, the first month of the season, but they, they weren't going out getting a Nelson Cruz type player. Um, so, and a lot of teams in the American league don't go out and get a Nelson Cruz type player. They just use that as their, their ninth best hitter. They use it as an off day and they just rotate and cycle through. And the Rockies had that advantage where they had an older guy like, like Kemp going in there, who was, who was nice, who was adequate. Uh, Daniel Murphy had a couple of days off Charlie Blackman, although he doesn't like to be the DH, you can keep right. those guys fresh, um, and that's that's a great strategy on on, on paper. Um, but in this kind of balanced twenty twenty season, the Rockies have had the worst production out of DH, the worst production out of their essentially ninth best hitter. So again, yeah. a lot of that has to do with with guys like like Dahl, you know, being hurt yeah. and 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 players not producing. But it's. Um, it, it's hard to know where, where to pinpoint. There's, there's so many things that have gone wrong too. That's the other thing that we'll have plenty of time this off season. I don't know that there is one thing to point at to say, right. if no, this were is, fixed, yeah. right. this team would have had a chance at the eighth seed. And then even still, I don't think, you know, sneaking into the playoffs is means everything was fine. Everything went to plan because the San Francisco giants, while they've won the last two games here, uh, against Colorado, 
they were not a team that was, you know, really expected to do this. So this well, is and just frankly, lucky for them. Not, and and and, and they're, quite frankly, they're not as talented a baseball team as the Colorado Rockies. Oh no, they, they are not. Played better baseball all season long, and uh, to David's question here about, you know, is that a culture thing? I think that's a perfectly fair question to Legit. ask. Now, I, you know. I'm disinclined to go to your next comment and start doing the thing that a lot of people want to do, which is go, you know, start comparing them to the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Cardinals or these longstanding institutions that have built in fan bases. And in the case of the Yankees and Dodgers, literally billions of more dollars to spend. So when you say, oh, those guys just bring guys up and every single one of them is great. And it's like that's largely because they are given the resources to be great. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, I, I would stay away from directly comparing it to those teams and, and stick more with, instead of why can't the Rockies make a superstar out of a guy like Tommy Doyle, um, which is not necessarily in his pedigree to be something like that. Like, right. Can't, why can't these guys just have an endless string of prospects they bring up who are awesome and instead focus on the individual cases where they're clearly not getting what they need to out of the talent they have. That does include guys like Brendan Rogers, Ryan McMahon, uh, Garrett Hampson. I think at times this season, I feel like there's, there's more there and there's a, a coaching and a culture and a leadership attitude that's led to all those things. And it goes all the way up. And, it, and by the way, it doesn't stop at the GM. Some every once in a while I'll, I'll see people saying, you know, Oh man, how can Dick Monfort, you know, still be putting up with this guy as if as if Dick Monfort and Jeff Breidich don't generally agree and and work together on a lot of these cultural and philosophical issues. And so, yeah, I, I think a lot of that needs to be, you know, addressed. But I also think most of that stuff takes care of itself if you just build a better roster. And that's just on the table for them to do. And if they want people to stop questioning the dumb stuff that they say sometimes that I don't think is as bad as other people do, but still probably shouldn't be said. Breidich had another one the other day about players just have to play better. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. But he's not wrong, but stop saying it. <laughs> it's stuff like that. But you go out and you build a better roster and, and again, I've thrown some blame at, at Nolan Arenado for, for maybe not creating the best clubhouse culture. But you know what creates the great clubhouse culture? And then you don't have to worry about the attitude of your all-time great third baseman? Create a winning roster. Yeah, it's a lot easier, you know, when, when Dustin May makes his debut with the Dodgers or Gavin Lux. And yeah, there are a number of, of Dodgers prospects that come up and they immediately contribute and are, are fantastic. But when they go up, they're looking around and they're saying, man, these were the guys that were playing in the final series of our profession. They were in the World Series, you know, uh, previously the, you know, two straight years before, before the Nationals in 2019. It's like, man, that's Justin Turner. And believe it or not, they are saying, man, that's Kike Hernandez. Yeah, like that's coming out of, you know, their their mouths. They're, they're thinking that because of, of the big plays that these guys have, you know, come up with. So they, they feel supported and they say, man, 
that's the skipper, David Robinson. Man, he pushed all those right buttons. It's an organizational thing too, that they have this belief that, man, everyone's doing everything they can that's right, and that's only going to make everybody better. So, you know, when you when you insert a guy like that, he has that much confidence in the guys around them that it 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 contributes to to positive outcomes. And you don't have to think, man, I got to strike these next two guys out because, you know, the left side of my infield isn't very good, you know, defensively, and I'm going to have problems. The Rockies have that advantage. That's one of those benefits I think that the pitchers have is they go, shoot, if I can just hit, get them to hit a ground ball anywhere and and even if it's you know 20 feet off the ground nolan and trevor they might be able to get up there and and get it who knows um but again if you have that confidence in in your defense or or in your lineup whatever it is that just makes your job that much easier and like you said drew you know it's you, you can't really compare what the rockies need to do to be successful with the Dodgers and Yankees. And it's, and it's not because the Dodgers and Yankees are the best at what they do. Um, some of it just has to do with, you know, the people that they employ, but a lot of it has to do with the money that is spent and how that typically translates into success. And you have to be smart with that money. And, and it's not just about signing free agents. It's about the analytics. It's about the coaching. Again, it's, it's about building this, this culture and, and doing a lot of things that, costs a lot of money so you have to really compare you know apples to apples and 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 look at some of the mid-market to small market teams and say what are they doing if really we're going to compare the rockies with anyone and say hey they should do things like this team it would be the houston astros because they are in a larger market but i would say it's somewhat similar to denver they're not a one big asterisk on that but obviously you've got to throw that sure that's fine but but yes but philosophically i mean philosophically obviously i know know what you're saying oh right 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 i forgot about that of course not patrick saying what the rockies need to do is cheat that's obviously not what you're saying well (laughs) no i'm not saying that but Uh, let's come back to that later no but um but but ultimately a team that's not like when you think of the all-time great teams i mean I, I don't even know that they're in the, the top 10 when you're just thinking of just, you'd say, you'd say the Chicago White Sox, even though they've, you know, won one World Series in, in the past 80 years, uh, back in 2005. So again, Houston was just a, a team that had to do things differently and they took it to an extreme. Uh, and that was, they tanked. They said, let's lose a hundred games. If we do it right, if we do it right, we will lose 100 or more games for three straight years, so we get not only you know the top three draft picks, but we get the draft capital that comes with that. And we can go and take any of our players that have any value, trade them for really good prospects, and we can kind of look and see, like, you know what? We just drafted a few uh, you know, really talented outfielders. Well, you know what? When we trade this guy that has some value, Let's get some starting pitching back for them. So really, they're 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 building everything from the ground up, rather than trying to work with all these different moving pieces that a lot of other teams do and and do well at. But if you're gonna if you're gonna look at at any organization, that might be the one as far as saying it's it's the gold standard with an asterisk. Maybe it's the pyrite standard if yeah. we're gonna put an asterisk next to gold. But you're right, you can't compare Dodgers, even Red Sox, who outside of the fact that they have one of the worst records in the game right now, they've got a lot of world series in the past decade or so Yankees. You can't compare them with those teams. Yeah. A lot, lot, lot of money to spend there. And I, 
I pretty thoroughly disagree with your let's uh, the tanking strategy, but we'll we'll have to get into that uh, another time, I think, because now now David is holding my our feet to the fire a little bit here with the follow up. Got to appreciate that. Um, asking specifically about the direct advantage over small market teams um, based on that kind of money in a farm system. Like you're saying, you know, I understand you go out buy star players, but how's your farm system? There's there's a great number of ways, not the least of which is just the resources to trade, to replenish your farm system, um, signing guys like that. Actually, Patrick and I last night were talking about a very specific move that the Dodgers pulled off to do that exact kind of thing that, that you can do when you can afford to pay somebody a lot of money to not play at all for your organization, which is not something that uh, the Rockies can do when they acquired uh, Homer Bailey. But I, I sometimes even think it's things simpler than that. Like just being able to have the extra cash on hand to employ an army of analytics guys and, and hitting gurus and pitching coaches for every single one of your prospects and uh, you know, just all this extra capital that comes through Manny Randawa mentioned one when he came on the podcast uh, and we argued with each other for an hour and a half, a week or so ago about just the fact that when you get brought up as a Dodger or a Yankee, you're batting eighth and everyone in front of you is an all-star who's going to hit 30 home runs. And so there's no pressure on you to do anything. If you strike out three times or four times in your major league debut, no one's going to notice because you probably won the game eight to two because you're on a juggernaut and no one cares if it takes the kid two or three weeks or two or three months or sometimes even two or three years to figure it out because everybody else on the team is a superstar. And here and in most mid-market teams, it's not the case. You freak out over two or three bad weeks of Brendan Rodgers because you thought he was supposed to be the next big thing. And right now the Rockies need a big thing. And so you need this rookie to save your team. And so there's there, there's a number of ways in which having all of those extra resources and, and built-in advantages allows you to get that much more out of your young players, your prospects. Um, and it's just, it, it's tough out there. And that's not, you know, when I bring up these things, sometimes people paint it as an excuse. When we talk about the course field factor, you know, talk about these are not excuses. These are starting points. This is what the Colorado Rockies have to be honest about and solve, not run from, not ignore, not pretend and not use as an excuse. Oh, we can't. They've got more money than we do. They don't have the altitude problem. They don't. You've got to figure out how to solve your problem uniquely to you. And that's one of the reasons why I always bring that back up. So it's not about making an excuses, but it's you have to. I believe, understand these things first in order to truly solve the Rockies problem. You have to be honest about what it's like that scene in Moneyball when, right. When Brad Pitt's Billy Bean sitting around the table going, what's the problem? And they keep, they keep kind of dancing around it. He goes, no, 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 no. What is the problem here? And he finally gives them that 50 feet of crap line. Right. But mm-hmm. what is the Rockies problem? And far too many people want to, in my view, suggest a solution without recognizing the problem the way you just did when you suggested you know i disagree with your your tank strategy mostly for like personal philosophical reasons of not liking tanking um you don't want to lose 300 times <laughs> um, in three I, years 
not that interested that's in like crazy watching true. terrible baseball for three years. But I understand the argument, and it comes from a place that inherently understands the Rockies' unique situation. And, uh, you know, that's where I, I think there, there can often be this gigantic disconnect. And I think it can be where there's a disconnect with Jeff Breidich, where he feels like he doesn't need to explain himself because no one's even trying to understand anyway. And it's not a great attitude to have, and it creates a terrible atmosphere. But I don't think he's entirely wrong in that either. And so that's why I, I'm going to try to judge them in, based on what they do next. And I have no idea what they're going to do next. I told you that yesterday, Patrick. I said, I, I legitimately have no idea what happens now. And that's fascinating. Is it nothing? In a while. Do they do nothing? I mean, that could be what happens and that would table? be entirely shocking. That would be awful. That's probably the worst thing they could do. Yes, is probably, is yeah. And and it might be the safest bet, but I don't know, man. I got a, I got a gut feeling it's not it, – it, well, first of all, they can't – they almost can't do nothing. Right? There are holes on the roster. At the very least, they have to sign bodies, right? Like <laughs> they got to bring in a couple of dudes, unless Tommy Doyle's going to be your number six guy in the bullpen next year. Like I don't, you know. Uh, I think I, I think going back to David's question about like what's the advantage between the mid and the small markets? The small markets don't have any window of error. Like the Rockies you know, say what you will, you know, they made the playoffs in 2018 uh, and they, Wade Davis had a, a really solid season, but they still overpaid for Davis and Shaw and McGee. And then they got nothing from them the next two years. And it didn't entirely cripple them. I think in a way, you know, they, they, they gave money to Dean Desmond, you know, Mike Dunn, like there are those players and it didn't totally, destroy them so they kind of had a little bit of wiggle room because they had these young guys coming up through the pipeline and that was fine if you're a small market team you can't do that you have to work smarter not harder and i think sometimes right. being in the middle is the worst scenario because you look and go oh man if we only had the money like the yankees we could do this and well those small market teams they got to go extreme they got to have something as crazy as an opener and that's just bonkers. And you really have almost no identity. And I bring that up because that was an element from this game today, which I think was a really interesting piece was that the, the giants went out, used an opener with, with Caleb Barringer and, you know, went an inning uh, because Logan Webb ultimately is just a guy who throws a lot of pitches and, you know, right. his longest start, I think going into this game, uh, he made his debut this season was about five innings. So this was kind of a longer outing, but it was a, just a really creative way. Instead of saying, all right, Logan, we're, you're immediately going to go out and face Tapia, uh, Pilar story. And if you don't do that perfectly, Charlie Blackman right after that, like right. that's, 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 that's hard for a young guy. So instead they throw out a guy with a four five ERA, got the job done. And then Webb continued. And next thing you know, it yeah. they're in the seventh inning, and now they only need about eight more outs, and they've won the ball game. And this is just a little thing that I would have really loved for the Rockies to have jumped in on at some point this season. Not because it has any; it's, it's indicative of the starting pitching because it's been very, very good. But it's it bridges the gap to the bullpen or the the, the end of the game the eighth and ninth inning, that much better. Kyle Freeland going out there and facing, you know, the cleanup hitter to lead off 
rather than the leadoff hitter to lead off now could end up meaning, you know what? Shut it down. I've got the final eight innings. Like we could have seen that a few times this season. Absolutely. We could have seen that a few times, but again, why does that not happen? Again, that's something that Jeff Breidich in the analytics team would have to answer. I I think I've got the answer for you. Uh, Well, I I can't, I, I, I certainly can't promise that they would do it if this were not the case, but um, certainly if I was in those meetings, the, the big wrench in, in that is you got to have a reliever with your mid four ERA. You got to have a reliever who you feel semi-solid about who you can put out there at the very beginning of the game. Who's not going to put you behind the eight ball and, and lose the thing right away. And right now the Rockies have exactly two relievers. They feel confident in one of them lost the game for them tonight with a big three run Jack at the worst possible time. That's so. baseball. That's baseball. Right. And, if you and were, now that you're out of it, try it anyway. But I mean, it, it, I, I think that's the like it, part of the problem too is, and I think this. Oh, damn! I wish I could. There was another strategic thing that I, I saw happen tonight that I, I was thinking the same thing. Like I hope that doesn't convince them not to keep doing it. Right? It's like if you start shifting a lot because the numbers tell you to shift a lot, and and, and they're right. And then you give up the game-winning hit in, let's say, game five after really going to heavily shifting, and it goes right through where the shift should have been. You go, ah, and you freak out and you stop, right? The Rockies did a version of the opener in 20. Help me out, chat. Uh, they they did something where they had like a, a, a rotating guys where there were like two guys that would be starting and they'd piggyback on each other and yeah. yeah they 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 give that they give that a little while maybe they didn't have the right set of guys but well, yeah they, go ahead tell me about they that very much didn't that was exactly right there yeah. was just like it they they tried it as like an emergency solution to just not having enough talent and then when the talent that they didn't have continued to not be that talented and give up runs they were like i guess this doesn't work and kind of scrapped the idea and it's i think it's really too bad because conceptually I think it was a really good idea for the Rockies to do something like that. And I, I still think it would be a good idea to have, I, I think you've got to have a couple of guys who are normal starters, right? Three guys who still go out there and just do the normal start thing, but creating that sort of piggyback situation at the back end of your rotation, having guys who are ready to go in. If somebody doesn't have it on any given day, uh, those long relievers, because whether you're doing it by design or not, it's it, it's happening. And it, for 27 years, games get crazy for the Colorado Rockies uh, more than any other team, and especially at Coors Field. So, yeah, I, I think it would be a great idea. But I think, you know, there's a, there's a risk to trying it when you don't have the personnel to pull it off and then convincing yourself that it doesn't work. That's precisely right. Is that, you know, I would love to have known where that idea came from. Was it, was it just more of a concept or was there actual analytics involved? Was there something in the numbers and the data that suggested, Oh no, 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 this actually will work with this group because I would tend to think. Proprietary analytics from Dan O'Dowd. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's super interesting right there to, you know, to, to see how that, you know, would play out over, much much longer period of time because you know maybe that that does work and yeah there's uh 
there's a lot more to, to talk about this and, and, and flesh yeah. it out over the season because yeah. you, you just have to be – you have to be smarter, not harder, and, and, and do some strange things. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why MLB going into the season created certain rules about having position players pitch because ultimately teams were realizing, you know what, um, let's just punt these games. Let's just, let's just punt these late innings. We'll have right. a position player go out because having those extra two innings – from one of our relievers or an inning apiece from those relievers, that is going to be the difference in a game that we Matters can win. Yeah. If, if, if statistically we have a, a 7% chance of winning this game in the eighth inning, and it's probably much lower than that because we're talking about a seven run lead in the eighth inning. So it's like, okay, we have a 2% chance of winning this game. Ian Desmond, Mark Reynolds, Drew Butera, go ahead and pitch. It doesn't mean anything, but tomorrow when we've got, a 2-2 ball game with runners on the corners in the sixth inning. Now this, what happens in this at bat is worth, you know, a uh, um, 10% uh, wave of, you know, right. differential there. So we got to have that right guy. And if we use the wrong guy the night before, when we had little to no chance of winning, well, we just, we, we lost this game based on something we had done the previous day because we we didn't we didn't look at the numbers correctly. None, yeah, it just helped us none. Yeah, absolutely. So so sometimes you have to make those tough decisions and do that. Whether it's an opener, a position player, punt, do something different, whatever it is, uh, and win the games that you can win. Make sure you win those games, and the ones you can't, try something different. All right, we can't sign off before talking about, of course, our draft king of the game. It had to go to somebody, and you got to use that promo code DNVR, by the way, over at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. But it does go, I think, maybe actually for only like the second or third time this year to our boy, Rymel Tapia. Another couple of base hits out there got involved on both of the Colorado Rockies scoring plays. Uh, you know, again, you're, you're, you're sort of grasping at straws when you're, you're coming up with Kings of the game and a, and an ugly loss like this, but Tapia continues to be a bright spot. No, he didn't hit the crap out of either of them though. Actually, that's not true. The double he hit double. At first I thought because people were, were kind of making a big deal uh, out of uh, a slight misplay from Alex Dickerson in left field and suggesting that, you know, that ball should have been caught, but it was 99 miles an hour off the bat and had an expected batting average of like 480, I think it was. So, uh, you know, hard RBI double for Tap. He's going the other way. He's using his speed as a tool. Uh, he's being the pest. He's being El Congrejo. He's doing everything that he was supposed to do. This is Rymal Tapia as advertised finally here for your daily viewing pleasure. And if it were not for Charlie Blackman's two doubles, who he was he was in the running for it, if anyone is is that interested in, in, in what goes on behind the scenes for our voting. Up in the seven to two loss, yes. the draft king of the game. Exactly. Yeah, you know, if you want to know the voting process, he, he was runner up, but yeah, he didn't factor in either runs, whereas Toppy did, scored the first, drove in the second. Um, but those two doubles were pretty key for Charlie Blackman because it kept him uh, above 300, batting 305. And our DraftKings king of the game, Ryan Maltapia, his two hits put him at 299. So Mr. 400 in the quest for the asterisk, asterisk shortened season 
Charlie Blackman has now come back down to earth and yeah. Ryan Maltapia is now uh, floating in outer space. If we're going to stick with the analogy, but he's only six percentage points away from Charlie Blackman there. So again, Josh Fuentes, you know, doesn't have quite as many at bats, but right now it's, it's looking like, like Ryan Altapia might actually be second on the team in batting average, which is, is a little bit wild. It's, yeah. it's both good news and bad news, but we'll focus on the good news today. Yeah. yeah. Certainly something that could have been predicted. Uh, well, that was. <laughs> that was predicted by me. All right, enough right. of that. Kenneth, you, you've, you've sucked me back into it. We'll, we'll do it a little bit before we get out of here. Best 90s cartoons. One is Batman, two is X-Men, and then things get messy. Then we get into giant screaming match fights. Uh, I, I can't debate too hard over those top two. Um, Ninja Turtles, Darkwing Duck. Spider-Man. I loved Darkwing Duck when I was... I had forgot Duck about Duck that. Is so good. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I I don't have a, nearly as many conversations about 90s cartoons as I probably should, but no. Darkwing Duck was there. DuckTales. I mean, DuckTales was great. Yes. They were, yes. The, I, think it was, I think it was a Nintendo game. It may have been Sega, but the DuckTales video game was very <laughs> good. Yes, it might have been Sega. That was that was a, a very underrated game. Um, I yeah. I did remember watching briefly the, that that sports uh, cartoon where it was like Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and Michael Jordan, where the three of them had like a little cartoon and they went and fought crime or something like that. Probably only lasted one season, but awesome! It was great for me as a kid. Awesome. Uh, Ninja yes, Turtles, gar Gargoyles. Ninja Turtles was awesome. Gargoyles was great. Animaniacs um, is probably oh. one of. It's probably probably the best of the nineties. I like mean, for really, it's still not better than Batman, but it's the cleverest. It's probably yeah. the cleverest, like animated show that's still actually for children, but definitely like, like we can all agree, like like more people love that then like more people could enjoy that. Like if you're doing awards, you know what? You'd be like, ah, this is a little too dark or ah, this is too much for kids. There was a little something for everybody. I feel oh, like yeah. in Animaniacs that oh, made yeah. that, you know, fantastic yeah. of a show. I never saw Gargoyles. I don't think I even know that. Oh, really? Oh, Gargoyles no. was fun. Gargoyles was good. Tiny Toons, Kenneth, that's a great poll. Tiny Toons was amazing. It never About the babies? Yes. Muppet Babies <laughs> was pretty early. And then what about Nickelodeon? I don't think we touched on any Nickelodeon. Rugrats? I wasn't a big, yeah. See, those ones I can't weigh in on as much because I didn't have cable TV back in the day. So I only mm. got all these network shows. So I didn't watch much like Rugrats or like Doug or Doug. Um, shows like those. Although it was, is that in the 90s? I feel like we're getting a little bit later in time. Um, yeah, oh, maybe, maybe Nickelodeon maybe. ones. Yeah. Ah, Real Monsters, I think is what it was called. I didn't like that one, but fairly um, odd. Ren and Stimpy. Oh, there you go. That's a different. That's a different category. You there idiot. we go. MTV Love. animated uh, Daria. Yes. And uh, Hey Arnold, man. The Wild Thornberries. I think that was another Nickelodeon yes. one. Never got into it, but I was Again, very yeah, much those aware. Those were the ones I was aware of. But Ren and but, Stimpy, and then Beavis and Butthead. If you're talking to MTV. Beavis and Butthead. The head, 
I think yeah. that one's a weird one. They're one of those late ones that are on MTV that you're like, what am I watching? Wait, yeah. wasn't Spawn also on MTV late? Yeah. 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 I didn't get into that. It scared me. Well, it, it would scary. still, it's, it, it's, it's frightening. It's legitimately like, it's good though. Uh, yeah. I think right. I put like Beavis and Butthead on like a top 10 list as just like honorably, like even if it's Iconic. not like you just, it exactly. has to be at number 10. Like put it at number 10. Don't like mess around. Like put Beavis. It's like the Animaniacs. Like it's, it's not like one of and my it's at number favorite. Five at the lowest, oh, but. you just go respect. You got to yeah. respect it. Yeah, Man, I still had it on, you know, on occasion. Oh yeah. Man, Darkwing Duck. I was a, that's a good pull, man. I haven't thought about that one in forever. Loved it. Let's get dangerous. Sit like, like. Uh, Launchpad McQuack. Love that name. Yes. Oh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Cause it's yes. Chippendale And and with with Monterey Jack. I don't remember the other characters other than Chip and Dale. Ah yes, 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 yes. And the the girl mouse gadget or gat or something like that is that right? Was Jeez. it? Uh, I can't think of it. Just a cheese. Tailspin was the the spinoff of uh, Jungle Book. Wasn't a Jungle Book like it wasn't about like bears and stuff? Yeah, flying planes. Gadget, you did. You're gadget. there. Speaking of gadget, you have uh, oh, Inspector. Gadget. Gadget, comma Inspector. Pink Panther. Pink Panther never got into that one. I watched the Pink Panther cartoon. Pink Panther cartoon. No. I think that may be earlier. I think technically that might be. I could have maybe been eighties. Yeah. Might have been. But yeah, man, nineties was. Uh, you're right. That might might have been like the golden era. Like eighties was when cartoons was like, hey, no, it's okay. It's it's cool, you know. You could kind of maybe even do a little bit for the adults, but '90s was when it was like totally embraced. Right. Had, like Transformers and like uh, Thunder. Transformers might have been. I wonder if it might have touched yeah. in like '89. I'm wondering. So Transformers might have maybe even gotten into '90. I'd have to go back. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it could have started around, let's say '89. Okay. Yeah. He Man. He Man was was right. mid to late '80s. He Man and Shira, and the new Shira, by the way, on Netflix is. Dope. It's really? it's actually legitimately very good. I didn't, boy, didn't even know this was around. I, I thought I'd caught wind that they were going to do it. Yeah. Is it uh? It's more of a series than a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty minute episodes. They're short. They're fun. They're simple and lighthearted, and good messages and fun for anybody to enjoy. That kind of thing where you're like. What's huh. oh, I'm thinking of She Hulk. That's why I'm like Shira. I'm like all I can see is. Forgot about Dennis the Menace, but oh yeah, no, no, no. She, yeah, she was like is is in the He Man. She's got yes. the big sword too. They're doing you know, by the power of Grace Skull and all. Did that. you know? And I, I just learned this recently from uh, from a very good radio show that I listened to that um, is co-hosted by Sam Roberts, who's a WWE oh. guy and, and does NXT. Where that uh, there were a lot of apparently uh, cartoon shows in the eighties that were only cartoon shows to sell toys. Like they're like, all right, let's come up with these oh, really cool toys and these muscular guys. Okay, well, it's He Man. You're like, well, we got to sell the toys. We'll have a TV show. Yeah. Boom. Same thing with Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Got the TV that's, show. That's Ninja Turtles. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense because I think I know, like, when I would go to the supermarket, you'd see these toys and be like, I like, okay, these look cool, but I don't. I've never seen a show with these guys. I'm not gonna buy those guys. 
you know, because they did, there was no, there was no emotion attached to it. They don't have a TV right. show. They right. look cool, but ah, uh, yeah, I don't know the background story. So you, you never got those. So it makes sense. You would need to have the TV show yeah. in order to sell that merch. Yeah. That actually completely changed the nature of the Ninja Turtles. I don't know if you know that whole story, but originally they were much gruffer uh, characters aimed at a, at a teenage audience. It was a much darker thing and it was mm. a parody of uh, Marvel stuff and particularly of daredevil and like in daredevil one of the groups that he's always fighting against is called the hand that's why in the ninja turtles are always fighting against the foot, foot clan oh uh, the foot yeah there are a ton of parodies of of marvel stuff in there but it was supposed to be kind of a like ribbing them and they they were like not doing that great or whatever and then once they made the toys and they're like actually we should sell this to kids the, uh, the everything you just described they were like, oh, we're completely the, the guys who made them, by the way, did this. Um, Eastman and Laird, the names of the guys. Yes, I know way more about the Ninja Turtles. The video games were great too. They're fantastic. Turtles. That would, if yeah, that that would be one that I if I if I had uh, enough expendable money to get by some like old school arc, arcade games, the Ninja Turtle one I think would definitely be one of them. Simpsons was a good one. Wow, we're yep. getting we got saved for the off season. The arcade games. Incidentally, yeah. in in the comic book. Did the Ninja Turtles like also like pizza, or was it something else? Yeah. And they're like, ah, we got to sell pizza to the kids. And yeah, right. Was, like, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but and yes, Kenneth, I've I've got all three of the original trilogy movies on DVD, and I've got that animated Ninja Turtles flick that they did the, mm. uh, on uh, Blu-ray. I don't own either of the Michael Bay ones, though. I did see them and thought they were fine. <laughs> oh, the the Ninja Turtle starting Corey Feldman is that the one you uh, you have the first? Oh one? yeah, oh that, oh the yeah. Dog, and the best one is probably Secret of the Ooze. That was the second one. Yeah. Well, no, the best one's the first one, but <laughs> also, also <laughs> but it doesn't have vanilla ice in it. So, but you know who it does? I think I got this right. You know who it does have in the second one? Oh my God! If you don't know this one, this is just oh, going to be no, no. You're right. Yeah, no. Oh, I know, I know you do going. know. Yeah, Shredder, big sexy, big sexy Kevin, Kevin Nash. Nash. Kevin Nash was Shredder. Ah, oh, no, that would have been great. Year or so, so I just barely beat you to it. But yeah, that would have been cool if I got yeah. on that. Nice. And all the Casey Jones sports puns. One of the greatest lines mm. in the history of American cinema is when. He swings his bat at Raphael, who catches it and says, Jose Canseco bat. Tell me, you didn't pay money for this. Very Come nice. On. Casey Canseco. Jones is great. Can't kick my ass with a Jose Canseco bat, man. Go get it. <laughs> I love that it. That hockey stick hanging out in the back, man. That's just classic. Classic stuff. All right, we should probably sign off. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out for mostly baseball talk and then a little bit of fun cartoon stuff. Because Rockies lost seven two. By the way, was that what it was? was that, yeah, was what... we're gonna we'll put a pin on it. Let's uh, close it out. Well, they're gonna play another one tomorrow, and we'll watch that and mostly talk about it as well. So hang out with us. Make sure you're following us on the social media at Patrick D Lines at Drew Creaseman at DNVR underscore Rockies. Give us a subscribe over at the dnvr.com so that you don't miss out on any of that written content. Plus, you get discounts on shirts, hats, masks. You get bigger beers when you come on down to the DNVR bar. All kinds of great stuff for being a member 
here at the dnvr.com. Other than that, we can only ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we'll see you at the ballpark. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 